Well, it's good to be with you tonight as we look at God's Word and the privilege we have in being able to open up God's Word together tonight. I would like you to open up to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7. And we're going to read verses 1 through verse 6. Romans chapter 7, verses 1 through verse 6. This is the Word of God. Verse 1. Or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So then if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law so that she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were arised by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Let's pray. Father God, as we come together tonight to look at your word, we are humbled by these words in Romans. We recognize, O oh Lord, that we were in bondage to the law. As we were in Adam, so we were in bondage. And yet, Lord, now we are in Jesus Christ. And that bondage has been liberated. And we are free man in Christ. And so, Lord, tonight, as we consider this passage of Scripture, and there's so much depth and width here in these words, I pray, Lord, that all of us would garner much from these words so that we might live unto Christ and that we might be united in that desire and that we would magnify our Savior together. Doctrine has impact, and Father, you used your servant, the Apostle Paul, to share with us this important doctrine. And we pray, Lord, that it will impact our lives for the rest of our time on earth and into eternity. We rejoice in the book of Romans, and we ask these things in your precious name. Amen. By way of introduction tonight, it is likely that the church in Rome 
was made up of many Jews and fewer Gentiles that came into being following Pentecost and following Calvary at Jerusalem. Many of those individuals came to faith there and then returned to their homeland. Like many in the early church, early believers were struggling with grace in lieu of the legal demands of the law. Paul wrote this clearest, the, most, the clearest and most logical explanation of the gospel through the book of Romans that we have in the Bible to refute those who were trying to include law with grace. All right? So tonight we're going to venture in to the depths of grace. In fact, as we studied this out, one commentator tried to like to use the idea, the analogy of a swimming pool. We've all, when we learned to swim, we most likely didn't start out in the deep end. We started out in the shallow end, and we learned that over time, what the fundamentals of swimming were all about, and then we could venture into the deeper waters. And we could be held up by the buoyancy of water. And we didn't have to be fearful of those deep waters. And tonight, I want us to consider the deep waters of grace through the work of Jesus Christ. It has been said by another commentator that Romans 6 is the most liberating chapter in all of Scripture. What do I mean by liberating? Set free. Set free from what? What we are going to see tonight, for those truly in Christ Jesus, we have been set free from the laws and its condemnation, its punishment, and its persistent weight in our lives. Maybe we have a number of people here who are struggling with your assurance tonight. Maybe you've sinned a terrible sin after you were saved, and Satan, like he always does, And young people, make sure you get a hold of this. Satan will always cause you to come back and wonder whether or not you've been saved. There's always that feeling of guilt that he puts upon us after we sin. But we have not been saved yet from our flesh. We have not taken on glorified bodies that we will have in heaven. We have to live here in this world, in the flesh, and we still struggle with sin. So maybe you're struggling tonight with your assurance. Maybe you struggle to know what being in Christ looks like. Or maybe after making a profession of Christ, you return to the law for your assurance and comfort. We've all heard the phrase, I don't smoke, and I don't chew, and I don't go with girls that do. All right? Maybe we find comfort in performance in our own lives relative to these self-made things that we put up in lieu of the Lord Jesus Christ. And really, it is my opinion that this may be the most dangerous because it's the most deceptive. We think we're doing the right things, but yet we fail to understand what being in Christ is all about. Or maybe you go to the other extreme, and this is one thing that Paul was referring to here in Romans 6 that we'll look at tonight. 
Maybe you go to the other extreme, as Paul was challenging the Romans not to do. Because of Christ, I have the license to sin. I can do anything I want. Whatever comes to mind, so be it. Well, Paul gives us a very clear answer to that particular thought. Well, as we funnel this down tonight, and we're funneling this down even further to be more specific at the beginning of Romans chapter 7 that we will be looking at and have read in your hearing this evening, we're going to look at the idea of a marriage relationship. The idea of a marriage relationship. And one of the things that we've lost in our culture, in the United States, and throughout the world, is God's perspective relative to the covenant of marriage. The marriage relationship is a special covenant that God has made and instituted. We take it rather lightly in our culture today. Think about the marriage ceremonies that go on all in our culture for various ways. But the marriage covenant is very important. Right now there is a issue in the church regarding marriage. And what I mean by that is the idea of homosexual marriage. The idea of a man and a man coming together in in marriage. That's not possible. Marriage was created for one man and one woman. That's the way God designed it to be. So when people come together in some kind of a pagan ceremony to try to observe something that we call marriage. It's not really marriage in God's eyes or God's view. It's not marriage as he designed it to be. And so as we go back and as we think about Genesis chapter 2, we understand that a man was to leave his mother and father. A woman was to leave her mother and father. And they were to come together in a relationship. The two shall be one flesh. That's a special institution that God has created. And may we not denigrate it in any way. We need to magnify and rejoice in the marriage covenant and in understanding how special that is to God. And we see that throughout Scripture. How do we we know it's important to God? Because of the various illustrations and analogies that we have throughout Scripture relative to this relationship. We talked about the creation of that relationship in Genesis chapter 2. We have the moral law that, of that relationship given to us in Deuteronomy. And in Solomon, through Solomon, God gave us what intimacy should like, look like for the marriage bed through the Song of Solomon, a very special written book that we have in the Bible. We have the analogy of that relationship in Hosea and Gomer as that relationship explains God's faithful love, the husband to Israel, the bride. We have the analogy of that relationship of the church in Ephesians chapter 5 as husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. We have the analogy of that relationship and the illustration of that relationship in, in Revelation at the marriage supper of the Lamb. When Christ and believers, his bride, come together to rejoice in, in that wedding marriage ceremony that will take place 
at the end of time. God does not look upon marriage lightly since he is the one who created it. The Apostle Paul gives us another look at this relationship through this illustration that he uses here in our relationship to the law in chapter 6 and at the beginning of chapter 7. We always want to be careful about the chapter breaks that we have in Scripture. They are not uh, inspired. They were put there by men, and sometimes those chapter breaks are not at the most special place. They're not at the best determined place. And especially as we think about here in Romans chapter 7, it's somewhat a summary to what we're seeing here in chapter 6. And we're going to be looking at chapter 6 and reading through that together for the main part of what I'm trying to convey tonight in this marriage relationship. What does being married to another, married to Christ, look like? We can go back to Romans 7. And we read there, Paul tells us what our rela- that old, old relationship with the law was and what our new relationship with Christ is. Before we believers were held by the law and in bondage to its accountability, before we were believers that were held by the law and in bondage to its accountability, it's in Romans six twenty three for the wages of sin is death. But we know that Christ died for us. But when Christ died for us, we became dead to the law through the body of Christ that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead. That's what he says here in Romans chapter 7. So it's important for us, it's very important for us, church, for us to understand what the law has done. The law has brought us to Jesus Christ. How shall we know sin except through the law? The law is not certainly sinful in and of itself, but the law is pure and good because it represents the character and purity of our great God. But the reality is we can never keep the law. There's only one who has kept the law, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is the perfect sacrifice and was at Calvary. Tonight, I want to look at what it means to be married to Christ. And we're going to focus upon four areas. And if you want to jot these down, and we're going to do it a little differently, all right? Usually, you go through it step by one, one, two, three, four, and you get to the fourth one, and you know you're about to the end. Well, when we get to the fourth one, you'll know that we're about to the end. But we're going to look at three of them somewhat in, in, as, in totality, as we look at Romans 6 together. And so I want to explain what these things are as we look at this marriage relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. And you have one of those, the number one is you have a new relationship. You have a new relationship. So if you're taking notes tonight, this is what the main part of our message is about. You have a new relationship. You have a new life. You have a new purpose. And then when I get to the fourth one, you'll know that we're about to the end, and I'll save that for a little bit later. So let's take our Bibles, and let's go back to Romans chapter 6, and let's see how these three areas, Paul is communicating to us these three areas 
of this new relationship. Chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? You can imagine. Let's stop right there. You can imagine what a church full of saved Jews, what their focus was on at that particular point in time. Paul was communicating the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. Many of them, maybe for the first time, understanding the the full grasp and understanding of the gospel, the full breadth of the gospel. Here was a man who was very studied in the law, in Mosaic law. We know in Philippians chapter 3 that the Apostle Paul talks about his standing in the flesh relative to the law. He was a Pharisee. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. He was zealous for the law. Of the law, he was blameless. So he gives us that biography so you can imagine how zealous he was for the law. But yet, then we learn in Acts chapter 9 that when on that Damascus road, Paul came to faith in Christ Jesus. And the very first message that Paul preached there in chapter 9 of Acts was Jesus is the Son of God. And that was the thing that, that annoyed Paul the most. That was the thing that annoyed, that annoyed the, the Jews the most was the fact that, that when, when Jesus claimed his deity, that was the upsetting element with the Jews. And yet Paul, when he preached his first message, he says, Jesus is the Son of God. So there was a radical transformation that took place with Paul. And Paul was communicating to these new Jewish Christians about the full breadth and depth of the gospel. So he wanted them to understand it. And it would be easy to conclude that, hey, if our salvation is all of grace, then what do we do with sin? We just might as well go off the deep end and sin to its nth degree. But Paul says something here very, very adamantly. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And what does Paul say? Certainly not. In the Greek, that's the strongest term for saying no way. Not to happen. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. And what we're seeing here, what, what, what do we mean by baptism? This wasn't a water baptism that he was speaking of. This was a spiritual baptism. This was a baptism that, do you not know that as many of us have been baptized into Christ Jesus, we're baptized into his death? But the wonderful thing about baptism is that's a representation of this particular passage. We've been baptized last week. We had the wonderful, wonderful privilege of of seeing three people baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And Pastor Rod, what did he do? He, he, He dipped them into the waters to represent Christ's death, and then they were raised up 
And what was that representation? That representation was to new life. Let's get a hold of that, church. Let's get a hold of that and understand what that new life is all about. So we have a new relationship here. We see this new relationship as we are baptized into Jesus, into his death. We are also baptized into his life by the glory of God. We see that we have a new relationship and we have a new life. Let's go on. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. We have a new life. We no longer in bondage to sin. We are no longer in bondage to what the law requires. But we have a new life in Christ Jesus. We go on, verse 7, For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul, help us understand this. I still sin, but yet you're telling me that we are to reckon ourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. How, do, how does that work? How, does that, how do we make sense of that? And yet dealing with this fleshly sin and these, this, this ugliness of our flesh that we have to deal with. Well, we have to come and understand that the rule of sin, the reign of sin has been broken by the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says that we are to reckon ourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. How do we do this? Well, we're married to Christ. We're married to Christ. The law has been done away with. We are no longer have that relationship with the law. We have a new life in Jesus Christ. That is the first thing that we have to understand in this new relationship and this new life. And then we have a new purpose. We have a new purpose. Let's go on here in Romans chapter 6. Verse 12, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey in its lust. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourself to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Now you understand why one commentator has made the the, the comment that this is the most uh, 
uh, I'm, I'm searching for a word here, I'm sorry, liberating chapter in all of Scripture. We've been set free from this bondage to sin. Through our bondage to the law, we've been freed from that. And we are married to the Lord Jesus Christ. Sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Verse 15, what then shall we sin? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? Here we have Paul's answer once again. In the strongest, most uh, 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 emotional, strong point that he's making here, certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey? You are that one slaves whom you obey, whether sin leading to death or of obedience leading to death. To righteousness. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, you, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, our marriage to the law evaporated. It no longer exists. We are now married to Jesus Christ. And in some ways, that is a That is a a different experience altogether. That is a wonderful relationship that he has brought to us and wrought to us in his strength and power. We are new creatures. We have a new life. We have a new relationship. We have a new purpose. We know here, as we read through here, we are to bear fruit for God. We have a new purpose. That purpose isn't living for ourselves, but that purpose is to live for the Lord Jesus Christ and produce fruit for him. I want to ask you a question, Christian, this this evening. Wouldn't it be far better for us, once we are saved and come into a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, to be immediately zapped out of this world? Couldn't we worship Christ and the Lord better in heaven than what we can worship him here upon earth? We would have glorified bodies. Think about that if we had that opportunity. But why does God keep us here once we come to faith in Christ Jesus? We have a new purpose. We have a new responsibility. We have a new husband that we are to serve in faith and in love. Think about this. Verse 20, it says, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the ends of those things is death. Many of us don't have to think very long of the the fleshly desires that we fulfilled and and we think about the fruit that, that we gained from that opportunity. There was nothing there. That what fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now, having been set free from sin 
And having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you've been in my Sunday school class long, and many men will quickly understand where I'm coming from here, one of my favorite verses that I often say in our class is from Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 and 10. All right? We may know 2, 8 and 9. For by grace have you been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And oftentimes we stop right there. But verse 10 says that we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, that we should walk in them. Think about that. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, that we should walk in them. We have a new purpose. We have an opportunity by God's grace to produce fruit for the Lord Jesus Christ in this relationship. We have been married to him. And that's the only way that we'll produce that kind of fruit that is acceptable to God the Father through Christ Jesus, our Lord. So, in this relationship, in chapter 6, we see we have a new relationship. We also see that we have a new life. We also see that we have a new purpose. But one of the things that we should rejoice in As we think about this, we have a new resource of power. We have a new resource of power. And I debated on whether to say it this way tonight, but I need to do this because I need to thank a friend when he deserves to be thanked. I remember when our brother, Tim England, he came to me and said, through Pastor Dixon's, with Pastor Dixon's approval, he said, Tim, could you be interested in teaching the adult Sunday school class? And I was encouraged also with that responsibility and and, uh, excited about it. And then I asked him, well, what are we going to be studying? And he says, well, and that's when we were going through the fundamental doctrines of the church. He says, we're going to be looking at the Holy Spirit. I remember where that was, Tim, right in the middle aisle here. And I thought, oh my, I've got a little work to do because I don't know as much about the Holy Spirit. God the Father, God the Son, yes. But God the Holy Spirit, not as much about that or about him. And so we went to work and through that study, we gleaned a lot about the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. You remember in John chapter 14, when Jesus announced that he was going to be, he was going to leave the earth, the disciples were, the disciples had this mindset that, hey, the Messiah has come, the Messiah is going to set up his kingdom, and everything is going to be great. Keep in mind some of the, the, the miracles that Jesus did, the feeding of the 5,000. Some of the things that were so so wonderful and majestic, I'm sure that they were greatly troubled when Jesus announced to them that he would be leaving soon and returning to heaven at the right hand of his Father. And how did he comfort? How did he comfort 
these disciples when he made that announcement. He said that if I go, a comforter will come. And who is that comforter? That comforter was the Holy Spirit. And these disciples, these apostles, were encouraged and comforted by what Jesus had said to them. And what did he say about the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit will lead you into all truth. That was one thing that he said in John 14, 15, and 16. And he also said that the Holy Spirit will testify of who? Of Christ, of me, when Jesus said that to him. So we have the Holy Spirit. If you're a believer tonight, the Holy Spirit resides in you. The Holy Spirit has done a work in your life. You've come to faith in Christ Jesus by the work of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is active in our lives to work in our hearts because of this marriage relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. We are married to Christ. And we have this new resource of power. So the sins that we once were so besieged by, we now have a power. We now have the power to turn our back on that sin. And we have the opportunity to laugh at Satan because of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us through this relationship. So we have this new resource of power. Maybe you're wondering a little bit about that. But let's go to Galatians chapter 2, verses 19 and 21. And, this, and, and Paul summarizes what I've been trying to share with you tonight in a very great way as he spoke to the Galatians about this, the Judaizers who were trying to bring the law into grace and add grace, add that to the the situation there in Galatia. For I, through the law, died to the law that I might live to God, verse 19. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes to the law, then Christ died in vain. So, what does this marriage relationship look like? We're not to be married to the law. We don't have our justification in Christ, and then our sanctification back in the law, as many many individuals try to do. We have been declared righteous by Jesus Christ, and we are sanctified by Jesus Christ, and we are being sanctified by Jesus Christ through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. What a blessing that is. What a comfort that is in the midst of the world in which we find ourselves today. So as we think about assurance, as we think about sinning, to as, as Paul responded to these uh, Jewish believers, shall we sin that grace may abound? Or maybe those individuals who have these, this self-made list of things that, hey, I'm going to do this and this and this, and as long as I do these things, then I'm okay. No. Run to Christ. We've run to Christ for our justification. Run to Christ for your sanctification. Run to Christ. Run to Christ. We're married to him. Help us to understand that, Lord. We've been married to him, and that's what Paul is trying to help us understand here in Romans chapter 7. 
We are no longer married to the law. We are married to the Lord Jesus Christ. We have a new relationship. We have a new life. We have a new purpose. And we have a new resource of power through the work of the Holy Spirit. Friends, we are blessed in the Lord Jesus Christ. May we get a hold of that and may we declare it to the nations and may we tell others about our Savior. Let's pray. Father, we are truly blessed to know you. For we think about Romans chapter 5 even before this Romans chapter 6 where scarcely would a righteous man die and perhaps would a good man dare to die but God commends his love toward us. Christ died for sinners. Christ went to the cross when we were rebellious and unlovable and have turned our backs on him. And now, Father, we have been blessed with this relationship, this marriage relationship, this wonderful institution that you created. And we see, O oh Lord, that the law has been done away with. We are no longer married to the law. As good as the law is and was, the law was never given to us for the purpose of our salvation. But it was to be a tutor to bring us to the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Lord, help us as believers to run to Christ. To run to Christ. When Satan comes and tempts us with some thought about condemnation, May we, Lord, recognize the finished work of Jesus Christ in our lives. And may we bring that up and profess and confess that to him as we pray. And then, Lord, help us to understand that in Romans chapter 8, where you go into great detail, where Paul goes into great detail about the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives, that the Holy Spirit even makes intercession for us with words that we do not even understand. Oh Lord, we have been so blessed by being in Christ. We have been so blessed by being married to our Savior. May we understand that relationship even more. And may the doubts that ever come with salvation be put away. And may we understand the finished work that our Savior has done for each of those who have trusted and put their faith in him. Oh God, we are truly blessed. We rejoice in our Savior tonight, and it is our desire to exalt his name with the remaining days that you give us here upon this earth. For the glory of God, we say these things and pray these things in his name. Amen.